Hello, everybody. It is my pleasure to warmly welcome you to Untold Tales. In this show, we're going to be talking about people's stories. We're going to be telling them, discussing them. Sometimes I will have guests who, with whom we shall discuss their lives. Sometimes it'll be just me and I'll be reading with you and talking with you about the selection of stories, all real stories. Every episode we will also have a subject, an issue, so... We will focus on different matters throughout the time that we are going to be spending together. For those that don't know me, my name is Elia. Um... I am currently studying at UVA, LCA, and yeah, I I really hope that you'll get to know me better throughout the episodes. I think it's kind of hard to talk about yourself, especially, well, this is um, the first time I'm doing this, so I'm a bit nervous. I I think it's... It's important and it's going to be nice that this first episode, we take our time to get to know each other. So I've selected two stories that I will, I will first talk about the first one and then I will read to you the second one. And I hope that you will get to know me a little bit better through my selection I'm also having a warm cup of tea because the weather outside is terrible. Of course, the moment that I got in my bike, it started raining. My pants are <laughs> soaked and my throat is hurting a bit. So I hope I didn't catch a cold. Um, but yeah, so my first story is a very personal one because I actually met the person Um, in Peru, my last years living there, I worked as a journalist in um, this paper called Hildebrandt en sus trece, and I mainly wrote chronicles. <clears throat> and on the one of the first ever I did was on uh, senior homeless people. Um, so yeah, it was one of my ever first commissions and it really, really showed me, it, it touched my heart and that's when I realized that what I want to do is tell stories. <clears throat> so yeah, without further ado...
<clears throat> I met Feliciana around February of 2019. She was, by that time, around 81 years old. Um, she very quickly estimated that because she didn't really remember her age. But yeah, around 81. Um, she was begging for coins in front of St. Peter's Church in the center of Lima. Um, for those that don't know Lima, it's a huge city and the center um, it is it has very colonial, a lot of colonial architecture, a lot of churches. And one of the main ones is St. Peter's Church. Um, but yeah, I, I approached her. She was crouching on the ground and I asked her if she would uh, like to talk with me and tell me about her story. And she agreed. She was, yeah, she, she was quite happy about it, actually. She told me that she was born in the highlands in this region called Hunin. Um, in there, her parents had a farm. Um, yeah, and they had a pretty, she had a pretty nice childhood. She remembered very fondly those years in the highlands, in Hunin. I have to say it's it's beautiful. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever had the luck to be in the highlands of Peru, but yeah, it's it's gorgeous. And she lived her childhood there, but one day she, there was an earthquake, and the river washed out the farm, um, all everything that they owned. So they actually had to move to another town and that's when their problems really began because, again, everything they owned was washed out. So they had to start from zero. It was a very big family. Um, yeah. And she lived in that town until she was around 30 years old. And that's when she decided that she wanted to go to Lima. Um, it's the capital and it's the only really big industrial city in Peru many years ago more than now but still so yeah she moved to well she ran away actually that's a very important she ran away to the capital city and she was hiding there until eventually a family member found her and convinced her to work as a maid working as a housekeeper. She worked there for a few weeks and then she met Ricardo, a quote-unquote charming baker for whom she fell madly in love. Um, she found herself pregnant soon enough. I bet it didn't come as a surprise for her. Um, and because Lima is still a very conservative place, but again even more so back in the days her employee um, her employer forced her or convinced her <coughs> convinced, convinced her to to marry Ricardo after that <coughs> she birthed one more daughter with Ricardo before 
he abandoned her for another woman. Um, she called her a Chinese prostitute. But yeah, that's her own words. She couldn't go back to her town in the highlands because she was really scared she would be killed, uh, beaten to death by her father for running away. And so she stayed back in Lima as a single mom, raising her two daughters alone. She first worked as a street sweeper. Uh, then she started having like a side hustle, selling sweets in the streets. Um, she had different food Uh, kiosks and everything went smoothly kind of until a few years before I met her because Feliciana she actually lost her job and then cataracts clouded her eyes and right after that her youngest daughter managed to take away the house and started charging the woman for the right the right to live there <clears throat> and to sleep in her room. So yeah, Feliciana was almost completely blind when I spoke to her and she had to work all day, sometimes during the night, begging for coins in front of the church just so she could make enough money to pay the daily rent to her daughter. I was quite shocked when she told me that um, every morning her routine would start with her going inside the church where she would pray to, well, of course, pay the rent um, because otherwise her daughter would beat her. But she would also she would also pray for the teachers of Peru, the mayor, the priests and the street sweepers. I am not myself a religious person, um, but even though, yeah, I don't share that, it was still quite surprising, um, the amount of devotion she still had and the fact that she was praying for all these people as well that she didn't even, even know. Mm. <clears throat> So, yeah, that's that's more or less her story. Last time I saw her, I I asked her why she didn't wouldn't go back to the highlands to Junin, and she explained to me that actually she was just waiting to die, that she didn't see a point in going back to to the highlands. I remember Feliciana as if I had talked with her just yesterday she yeah I was first of all honored by the fact that she trusted me with her story 
and <clears throat> I was very honored that she trusted me with her story and that I I was going to be able to tell it. I again I was working for a paper back then, so I was I I wrote it down and and published it along with other stories. But um I was also of course touched. I grew up in a middle class, middle upper class um household with my mom, um my stepfather and our cats. <laughs> my whole life so i i i have grown acquainted of certain aspects of lima that are quite rough especially the violence against women um yeah first hand i've seen a bunch of that but that's not all i was still very very lucky and working this job showed me first of all of course how lucky i am that's a bit of sounds a bit of an empty thing to say but it also showed me that despite the fact that i had this hate towards lima towards the city <clears throat> that the people in there they have only known hate and <clears throat> yeah because in the end all, all this abandonment all this violence it's just hate so i actually learned to love not the city but the people in there and it i learned that there is so much to fight for my stepfather he's been a journalist for his whole life and he has devoted his entire life to to Peru he's fought his entire life for Peru and sometimes it seemed when i was growing up like such a lost cause but then i went out and i started talking with all these people and i realized that yeah well maybe it is a lost cause but it doesn't mean that i can just give up on it so yeah um i kept telling stories i moved to amsterdam a few months back and i am still determined to tell stories that's why i'm here with you today um and yeah i'm, I'm really excited <clears throat> You're going to have to excuse my voice. Um again, it started raining just when I left home. So my throat is a bit sore. I'm having the cup of tea right now. I hope that will help. Um but yeah, I wanted also to tell this story about Feliciana because Again, I it was in February of 2019 and since then, of course, um in case you missed it, 
COVID. So I I actually doubt she's alive. Um, in Peru, so so many people it died. They are still dying. It's it's horrendous. And of course, the first ones to go were the the elderly homeless, which actually we have so much. They they are really just forgotten in the city um but they are there or they were there i haven't yeah i don't know how covid has been for them i can only imagine so i i don't really have a hope of seeing feliciana again but i want to remember her and i would like you to remember her with with me because she's She was she was so much and yeah she she only got to tell her story that one time so many of us do get chances and opportunities to to share who we are and tell our own stories but she couldn't um so I hope that we will together be able to listen and share as many voices as we can and remember Feliciana together. For the second part of this episode, I have selected some passages from my favorite book. It means so much to me that I really want to share with you. I really hope I'll inspire some of you to read it. Um, it's really worth. <laughs> it's really worth it. It's called "Blood and Gut Guts in High School." by Kathy Acker. We went to the movies. Johnny paid for everything. As soon as the movie started, I wanted to lay my head on Johnny's shoulder, but I was scared he didn't want to feel my flesh against his. Are you still interested in me, sexually? I asked him. Yes, and his hand took my hand, but all through the movie his touch was dead. Lashes, I feel. In the taxi, my mood changed to lousy. 
I wanted to get out of the cab. Oh shit, I was ruining everything again. Just when things were going good. Johnny realized something was the matter and asked me what was wrong. I said nothing was the matter and tried to jump out of the cab. He replied that we shouldn't have talked about Sally. Why shouldn't we have talked about Sally? He didn't answer, so I realized that Sally was a sacred subject. Once we were safe inside our kitchen, We rushed all the time, rehashed, sorry, I don't have my glasses on. We rehashed all the time he had wanted to be close to me and I had refused. All the times I had driven him away when he loved me. All the times he had rejected my timid advances of sex. And all the times I had cut him dead. I had told him I would never care about him. How the slightest rejection from me or affair had me, had him turn away from me and seek someone else. How I reacted to his hurting so badly by looking for someone more stable. How hurt causes increasing hurt. How our mutual fantasy that he adored me and I was just hanging on to him for the money actually concealed the reality that he had stuck to me all these years because I didn't ask too much of him, especially emotionally. In this way, a fantasy reveals reality. Reality is just the underlying fantasy, a fantasy that reveals need. I have an unlimited need of him. I explained all my lousy characteristics, my irritability, my bossiness, my ambition in the world, my pride. By this time, we were both crying. A fat friend of mine just walked into the apartment and I chased him away, but he saw us crying. Then Johnny said that my characteristics that had attracted him at the first now repelled him. I hinted that I am a loud, brassy Jewess. I am too dependent on him and that freaks him out of his mind. What makes it worse is that even though I need help, I don't know how to ask anyone for it. So I'm always bearing down on him. I'm blaming him. I am too macho. That's my favorite one. I repeated all these sentences in my mind. I knew that I was hideous. I had a picture in my head that I was a horse. Like the horse in Crime and Punishment. Skin partly ripped off and red muscle exposed. Men with huge sticks keep beating the horse. Johnny said that he thought I was his mother and all the resentment he had felt against her now felt against me. I scared him so badly he wanted to run away. I said, okay, I guess it's a good thing this, all, this is all coming out. Lashes make me no longer myself. Now I knew that Johnny hated me. I was still trying to remain calm to be mature. My fever from my sickness rose real high, I think to 102 degrees, and the pain in my ovaries increased.
the scorpions. I was running around with a wild bunch of kids, and I was scared. We were part of the scorpions. Daddy no longer loved me. That was it. I was desperate to find the love he had taken away from me. My friends were just like me. They were desperate. The products of broken families, poverty. And they were trying everything to escape their misery. Despite the restrictions of school, we did exactly what we wanted, and it was good. We got drunk, we used drugs, we fucked, we hurt each other sexually as much as we could. The speed, emotional overload, and pain every now and then dulled our brains, demented our perceptual apparatus. We knew we wouldn't, we couldn't change the shit we were living in, so... We were trying to change ourselves. I hated myself. I did everything I could to hurt myself. I don't remember who I fucked the first time I fucked, but I must have known nothing about birth control because I got pregnant. I do remember my abortion. $190. I walked into this large white room. There must have been 50 other girls, a few teenagers and two or three women in their 40s. Women lined up, women in chairs nodding out. A few women had their boyfriends with them. They were lucky, I thought. Most of us were alone. The women in my life were handed long business forms. In my line, (laughs) in my line were handed long business forms. At the end of each form was a paragraph that stated, She gave the doctor the right to do whatever he wanted, and if she ended up dead, it wasn't his fault. We had given ourselves up to men before. That's why we were here. All of us us signed everything. Then they took our money. My factory line was ushered into a pale green, green room. In the large white room, 50 more girls started to sign forms and give up their 190 stolen, begged for, and borrowed dollars. In a small orange room, they explained, an egg drops down from the ovaries, and when the cock enters their canal, called the uterus, it leaves millions of, I don't remember how many, sperm. If just one sperm out of all these sperms meets the dropping egg, the female, me and you, is in a lot of trouble. A female can use any of the many methods of birth control, all of which don't work or deform. It's all up to you girls, you have to be strong, shape up, you're a modern woman. These are the days of post-women's liberation, well, what are you going to do? You've grown up now, and you have to take care of yourself. No one's going to help you. You're the only one. Well, I couldn't help it. I just loved to fuck. He was so cute. It was worth it. We girls knew everything there was to know without having to say a word, and we knew we had put ourselves here, and we were all in this together. An abortion is a simple procedure. It is almost painless. 
Even if it isn't painless, it takes only five minutes. If you must have it, weak, stupid things that you are, we can put you to sleep. The orange walls were thick enough to stifle the scream pouring out of the operating room. Having an abortion was obviously just like getting fucked. If we, if we closed our eyes and spread our legs, we'd be taken care of. They stripped us of our clothes, gave us white sheets to cover our nakedness, led us back to the pale green room. I love it when men take care of me. Someone in pain, he cries out. One day, Janie finds a Persian grammar book. She begins to teach herself Persian. I go crazy when I want to fuck a guy, Esther thinks to herself. How will any man ever love me? How can I be happy if a man doesn't fuck and love me? But look at Pearl. She's happy and she doesn't fuck. Pearl's four years old. She's as wild as they come, wild in the Puritan New England society Hawthorne writes about, means evil, anti-society, criminal. Wild, wild, wild. Going wherever you want to go and doing whatever you want to do and not even thinking about it. Why do you get stoned? The Persian slave trader asked me this morning, in primitive, wild societies like Haiti, the word why doesn't exist. Pearl, according to Mr. Hawthorne, wears hippie clothes and runs around in the forest and makes no distinction between what's outside her and her dreams. On the whole, she doesn't make any distinctions. She doesn't know human beings exist. Sometimes she senses human beings exist. She senses a black vertical mist that's a wall pressing into her, as if on top of her. She wants to cream, scream. She feels helpless. She doesn't like people much. As you might have told by now, um, this book is quite something. <laughs> Maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, I think it's it's beautiful. I I actually got it in a very important time in my life. It was a gift from my English teacher in high school, and it meant so much to me. Um, it's even hard to put it into words 
the first thing it did was it showed me that I needed to write, to create, that that was the only way to survive for me. And it also showed me that anger can create as well. That it's okay to be angry and there are reasons to be angry. And it's not necessarily as destructive as we think of it. It's just an emotion. It's not It's not a bad thing. What we do with it can, of course, hurt others. But it can also not hurt. It can also be beautiful. And I remember I started putting a lot of my anger into sculptures and writings. And I really enjoyed it because once all that anger had left me, I started to get to know myself a bit. I can I can't honestly say I know myself a hundred percent. I always surprise myself with things I didn't know about, and yeah, but. The anger, I don't know, I I find it quite beautiful. And also, um, I don't know if you are interested in um, anti-Freudian feminism or Kathy Acker. um, But if you are, then definitely check this book because it's a delight. It has so many layers and textures it's filled with dream maps and and drawings it's honestly just genius and to that also i have to add that i had only read um until that point very classic literature um especially latin american gabriel garcia marquez um especially gabriel garcia marquez i got i got to say um and when my teacher gave me this book it was it was quite shocking to discover that there was something else <laughs> to reading and something else to writing it also really inspired me to sort of um pushed back against those boundaries um that I had grown up with in terms of of, of yeah of art and just overall, I have to say, this book means the world to me. So I wanted to share it with you. Um, again, it's Blood and Guts in High School by Kathy Acker. I will be forever grateful with my teacher for yeah, giving it to me and introducing me to Kathy Acker. If you want, I I would recommend um, not only reading this book, but if you like it, maybe check out. Um, there's a book on Kathy Acker's biography. It's even the fact that it's written by her ex-husband's wife. Just amazing, honestly. 
everything about that woman's life is <laughs> amusing. She really knew how to tell stories. Well. I think that with this we can conclude the first episode. I am so happy that you joined me today. I hope that you enjoyed it. Next time we will hopefully have a guest. Um, and yeah, we will have a chat with you. We will discuss about their lives, who they are. And... I can't wait until I see you next time. This is Untold Tales and I hope you are feeling as good as you can. And if you're not, well, I feel you feel better. I hope you feel better soon. <laughs> so yeah, until next time. <laughs>